Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll, and here we are at the end of another year, so that means that it's time once again for our look back at the best and worst of 2011. Well, okay, so this is the first time that we're looking back at 2011, but you know what I mean, we're at the end of another year, so it's time to look back at the last 12 months on our favorite soaps and pick out what was the best and what was the worst. What was hot, what was not, what were the tops, what were the flops. I could do this all day, but rather than give you all different sorts of ways to say the same thing, what we're going to do this week is talk about the things that were the best of 2011. We're going to look at the things that deserve awards, that deserve our applause, the things that really, really were outstanding. Now, that may not seem like an easy task, considering that this year it was announced that two of our favorite soaps would be leaving us. But we're going to put on our happy face and we're going to talk about all of those things that we liked. And what better place to start than with the soap that's won three consecutive daytime Emmys. Of course, I'm talking about The Bold and the Beautiful. Did The Bold and the Beautiful have another banner year? Well, it's time to find out with our Two Scoops columnist, Mike and Allison. First up, though, it's Mike. Well, it was kind of a rough year, but there were a lot of good moments. Um, Maybe not so much stories in and of themselves, but some really good moments. Um, one thing I, I remember I was really impressed by um, was the plane crash, uh, you know, where Brooke and Thomas mm-hmm. crashed into the Pacific on the way to Australia. And um, even though the story that was around it was questionable, I thought the crash itself was actually um, pretty suspenseful and kind of movie quality in some spots. Also, I thought that the um, ensuing rescue of Brooke and Thomas kind of had a lot of interesting characters coming together. You had Bill and Nick and Ridge, who all kind of hate each other, but they were willing to you know, put, their, put their heads together to, to find Brooke and Thomas. I thought that was kind of interesting. So that, that was pretty good. Um, let's see, I, I have a list here. Uh, <laughs> well, while you're looking on your list, one of the things when you mention that, that I noticed that The Bold and the Beautiful has been doing over the past year, maybe more so than any of the other soaps, is that they're still doing location shoots at a time when soaps are cutting back and trying to save money. The Bold and the Beautiful seems to be saying, you know what, we're going to do what we need to do here and we're going we're gonna to go on location so we can have some snow. We're going to go on location and, and, and do some really fun things for story purposes. Well, to a point, I mean, um, it's not like the old days, you know, where they went to Italy and, you know, places like that, but they at least did uh, try to shoot some things outside, um, also, I think, in part to take advantage of the new uh, high definition that they're uh, showing the show in now. Uh, and, of course, they went to Aspen, so, yeah, they, they are definitely making an attempt. Okay, so let's go down your list. You said you had to make a list of the things that were good. I, I do. I, 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 find, well. I find that I have to do that especially because... The show seems to be telling three times as much story, <laughs> you know, like packing three years of story into a year, so I, I have to make lists or I, okay. I forget what's going on. So what is number two on your list of the best moments from The Bold and the Beautiful in 2011? Well, you know, um, I didn't think I would find it interesting, but the um, the fact that Amber's baby turned out to be black was pretty interesting. <laughs> Um, it, it, the whole thing was a bit of a rehash, of course, going back to the whole um, Rick and Raymond um, thing in 1999 when Amber was pregnant then. But um, I did not expect they were going to throw Marcus into the mix. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that was sort of, they sort of snuck that in there. But And once they did, you know, kind of in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be Marcus's kid. 
but when it actually did turn out to be Marcus's uh, in that hospital room, I thought that was actually kind of an interesting moment, especially once they got past the kind of you know overdone comedy bit and got down to the you know the nitty gritty of the story. I thought it was actually pretty effective. Well, let me ask you something. I mentioned in the introduction that the Bold and Beautiful has won three consecutive daytime Emmys. They had a storyline with uh, that involved suicide. We had a storyline that involved the right to die. And we had a storyline that involved homelessness. Has there been that sort of emotional, heartstring-pulling social issue that's taken place in 2011 that you think might get the Bold and the Beautiful a fourth daytime Emmy? Do you want me to tell you what I think, or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are talking about the best, so you can edit it to that, and we certainly will have you back next week to talk about the worst, so we'll see what happens. Okay, well, I think, I'm I'm not sure that, okay, here's what I think. Um, They had a really good story going there with Stephanie and Eric there for a little while um, last month. Um, about the intimacy issues between them because of Stephanie's cancer and the fact that she's getting older and just isn't quite feeling amorous towards Eric, even though she loves him. And I thought that actually is was a very quiet but very poignant and well-done story because it's very unusual for soaps. It, it wasn't over the top. It, it was very it, rooted in their history and emotionally based and um, I was really compelled there for a couple of weeks. And so I think if anything um, was going to um, you know, be Emmy-worthy for 2011, I definitely think it would be that. There were some casting changes. There were some uh, additions. There were some minuses. Uh, are there any casting moments from 2011 that really stand out in your mind as being good decisions? I think that the idea to bring back Jacob Young as Rick was a good idea. I mean, they haven't done a lot with him yet, but it was uh, it was interesting to see him step back into the role after 12 years because there was always that question, you know, after two recasts, you know, was he going to be able to still embody the character? And I, I think he really does. And and he's because he's so much, you know, kind of older. It, it, he's definitely brought this interesting maturity to the character, and. Um, you almost needed that with Rick because, you know, the way he was written there for a couple of years uh, when Kyle Lauder was playing him, um, and it's nothing against him. It's just, you know, when they kind of turned him to the dark side, that's kind of something you will always associate with that particular actor. So it's like to refresh the character they almost needed to recast. So it was unfortunate that it came because um, All My Children was gone and Jacob Young left there, but I was glad that Bold and the Beautiful got him in, and I'm really hoping that they give Rick something substantial to do for 2012. Well, Mike, your best of, worst of, Bold and the Beautiful 2011 column is going to be published on SoapCentral.com Monday, January 2nd. You'll be the kicker. I'm going to start it off, baby. <laughs> You're going to kick off 2012 and hopefully what will be a good year in the world of soaps. And you'll be back with us next week to talk about the worst of the bold and the beautiful. Do you uh, think you'll be able to find anything to talk about for that show? Well, I think maybe if I reach in the back of my head, I might be able to pull up something. <laughs> All right. So and so we meet up next week, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the best of the bold and the beautiful 2011. Thanks, Dan. See you next week. Next up is Allison, a Two Scoops columnist for The Bold and the Beautiful on SoapCentral.com. Now, for those of you who listened to last year's Best of Worst of 2010 show, you'll remember that Allison got herself into somewhat of a predicament trying to explain how certain things, certain 
body parts should feel different when you're not sleeping with the person who you're usually sleeping with, particularly if the person that you usually sleep with is 20 to 30 years younger than the person you're having the affair with. So, Allison, I have to ask you, did anything feel different this year on The Bold and the Beautiful than last year? <laughs> what well, gosh. Uh, you know, I'd like to say things got better. <laughs> well, that's a plus. There were, some, there were some really good things this year. I, I, I will say that. Um, the show definitely uh, has been getting a little bit more wacky and a little bit less reality-based, and in some ways that's fun. Um, and I guess the word of the year, if you really want to get down to it, was probably taboo. Hmm. You know, we really dealt with uh, sort of the dynamics of, the, of Ridge and his two families and where everything fits in. And, of course, that all involved the tremendous growth of the Thomas character, if you want to call it growth, uh, with him becoming a designer. Of course, on The Bold and the Beautiful, you know, you not you know you scratch anybody and they become a designer. It's <laughs> true. Uh, and uh, so it, it's been an, an interesting year. I I wouldn't say it's been a red letter year. I, I think the year before with Stephanie's uh, lung cancer and her homeless issues and not refining the homeless people was a better year. Uh, but I think this has still been a fascinating year. For you, who has been the one character that has kept you the most entertained? for the past 12 months? Wow. Uh, that's a loaded question. Because, you know, with all our, our fans out there, if I say Brooke, they're going to kill me for it. <laughs> but uh, but I've liked Brooke the best. What can I say? I thought Brooke went through hell and back, going to the island, eating the berries, all that stuff. She still ended up uh, with Ridge. She still ended up, you know... Uh, trying to make some kind of peace with Stephanie, and she still ended up, you know, uh, uh, being the the one Logan that I really like all the time. So I guess I would say Brooke. Okay. And the fa- another favorite story that I would have loved him to follow up was the intimacy issue between Stephanie and Eric, because I thought that was a real legitimate story about a couple that had been together for a very, very long time, one going through a physical, medical ailment and no longer feeling romantically sexy to her partner and how a couple deals with that. And I kind of feel like he dropped the ball after three weeks. I think what's interesting about that, Allison, is that, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the storylines that The Bold and the Beautiful has done. They've done, uh, there was suicide, there was organ transplant, there was homelessness, there was cancer. There were a lot of so-called social issue storylines that, seemed like they were really gunned for, like it was an intentional way to go there and, and maybe win Emmys or poll for attention. This is a storyline that really seems to have resonated with a lot of people that maybe there wasn't this intention to go down that route um, you know, yeah, from I the agree. beginning. And it ended up with sort of a screeching halt, reportedly because maybe the network didn't approve of the storyline. But just in general, this is one of those surprising storylines that they didn't seem to have to really try and go heavy-handed, and people were really eating it up. Exactly, because first of all, it was dealing with it was it was with two year veteran actors, uh, Susan Flannery and John McCook, who don't get enough airtime together. It was finally sort of dealing with them and dealing with them not just as like another, you know, with Brooke and Ridge, it's like 
let's just have sex all the time. This was sort of the flip side of that. And I think viewers are are mature enough and all you know and, and, and respectful enough to the relationship that they might have been able to handle the fact that this longtime couple, you know, uh, you know, needed some help. They needed some counseling. They needed something more than they were getting. And to just sort of drop the storyline or make it about potential infidelity on on uh, Eric's part, or to have Ridge, of all people, be telling his father, you know, to knock it off, was, you know, kind of short-sighted. Well, when it comes to handling things and juggling things, you juggle columns. You write not only for The Bold and Beautiful, but you also write a two-scoops column for the Young and the Restless. So let's transition a little bit from Los Angeles to Genoa City and talk about what was your favorite storyline for The Young and the Restless in 2011? My favorite storyline, and this was this one I think really also did come out of the blue, it was the emergence of Genevieve. Hmm. Uh, it was so nice. I mean, first of all, I, when they brought in Jeannie Francis, I really feared that it was going to be just a, you know, a hit and run, that she was going to be on for a couple of months and be gone. But after initially introducing her as sort of this character that you couldn't really trust, and she might be a little bit crazy, she really has settled down and become an, a really good character and I think a terrific partner for, uh, for Jack. And I think she plays brilliantly with Peter Bergman. I loved her with uh, Tristan Rogers as Colin. I'm sorry they sent him away. But she has become my, like my new favorite character. I love her. Well, let me ask you, there were a lot of folks who, of course, are General Hospital fans and were heartbroken that Jeannie Francis wouldn't be returning as Laura. Did you have any sort of, outside of the, the fact that you were saying you were worried it might be a hit and run, did you have any sort of hesitance in seeing Laura parade around Genoa City? You know, uh, not, not, not the, no, actually I, I wasn't, but I, I'll tell you what did surprise me, Dan. She was surprisingly good. I, I thought she was better than I've ever seen her, I mean, because she's done brilliant work as Laura, uh, I wasn't really thrilled with her during her days, years, when she was, I think, uh, I don't remember the name of the character's name, whatever the character was. And, I, and when she was on All My Children, she was all right. But she was younger then. Uh, so I was really curious to see what she was going to do on this show. And I think that they gave her a really interesting character to play with a lot of bitterness and a lot of hurt. And it gave Jeannie a real chance to kind of show the duality of her pers- of her personality, the fact that she can play vulnerable, but she can also play angry, and I think uh, I think Laura had you know basically General Hospital wrote Laura into the corner. There was nowhere for her to go. You know, the last time on the show, they pretty much sent her off to Paris to you know deal with her uh, issues on her own. She couldn't have you know uh, Luke anymore. So they just sent her away. There was nothing. There was nothing else for Laura to do. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole world of what Genevieve can do. Well, as a little uh, best of 2011 extra here, when Jeannie Francis was a guest on Soap Central Live here about a couple of weeks ago or so, one of the things that I really enjoyed talking to her about is the fact that she is a part of a web series called Pretty, the series, and she really gets to show her comedic side, something that. I can't even tell you when I've seen Jeannie Francis do something that really made me laugh. I would love to have you back for next week's show where we 
sort of turn the dial up and talk about the things that didn't work in oh, 2011. Boy. I'm imagining there's probably some things for both soaps. That yes, I think I've been checking, you know, checking my list and finding things to talk about. <laughs> well, then, good. Allison, we'll have you back here next week for your worst of 2011. Okay, Dan. Thank you. When we talk about the best and the worst of the soaps, it usually means that it's time for my yearly chats with some of the Two Scoops columnists for SoapCentral.com. That means that it's time for my second ever conversation with Nita, the Two Scoops columnist for The Young and the Restless. Nita, can you believe it? Here we are. It's it's time for our yearly phone call. Oh, how fast a year can go. <laughs> it really can, <laughs> except when things aren't going so well. But we'll talk about that next week in our Worst Of show. Let's talk about some of the best of things. For me, folks have heard all hour long that it's been rough losing all my children. But one of the things for me that I've liked is that some of my all my children Friends have found new roles over on The Young and the Restless, and you guys already had so many former AMC stars that it's enough to keep me happy and keep me tuning in and watching. But for you, someone who's already been watching YNR for a period of time, what are the things over the past year that have really kept you glued to the screen? Well, I'd have to say it isn't always so much the storylines for me. I'm really, I've been watching so long, I'm really into the characters, as most fans are. And I think that's why we get just so frustrated when we feel like, that's not our character, they don't act like that. You know, when the scribes tend to write them in some way that they haven't been acting for all these years, and then suddenly they're they're almost different people. So I think for me, it's it's been, you know, my character's. Well, who's been your favorite character over the past year? And is there anybody that maybe crept up on that list of favorite characters that you're surprised that, you know, wow, I didn't think I'd like this person? Well, there are a few. Um, my very favorite is Billy, of course. Of course. You know, Billy, um, Billy he's, he's just great with everybody. He's, he's the kind of guy where he would make, he's the kind of guy you'd want for a friend and kind of guy you want for a boyfriend if, if he loves you like he loves Victoria. And, you know, he's, he's awesome with Delia. Just everyone that they, they, they put him with, he just has a, a something. He brings something to it. And so I can just watch him, you know. He, at first, his, his little facial tics would get to me. But, you know, those have grown on me. And I just like him, you know. And he's, I, I think where I've, I've really come to like him even more is as he's interacted with Kevin and Kane. You know, so I was surprised that I even liked him with, with those two. Now, the person that crept up on me that I never would have said, a year ago I probably would have said, I'll hate Adam Newman until the show goes off the air or I die, which I come <laughs> Well, hopefully <laughs> neither are coming anytime soon. <laughs> well, I hope not, but I have come to, I know I'm in the minority, but I love this guy. You know, I just I think he's an awesome actor. You know, he just brings it every time, and it doesn't matter. The storylines have been I haven't liked some of the things he's done, he's done, but I love the guy. So I guess I'd have to say he was the one who crept up on me that I thought that I wouldn't like, and but now I do. I have to agree with you. You know, a couple of weeks ago when Michael Muni was a guest here on Soap Central Live, uh, it was really sort of interesting to. Uh, to hear him explain all of the things, and when you listen to him as an actor explain his character, even when you watch this character every day, hearing the actor's sort of perspective on it 
really throws into into everything a whole new light. And I thought, wow, so that's what he's thinking. Well, okay, so maybe what Adam is doing is really much more believable. So that's the sort of thing, I guess, the service that we can do here on Soap Central Live to hopefully open up people's eyes and get them to like characters that maybe they didn't like before. Right. Moving on to some of the stories that people have liked over the past 12 months, there have been some folks who've been vocal and said that this wasn't necessarily the best year in YNR's history, but there still had to be some stories that you liked. So let's start off with maybe one of those. Well, let's see. I think my my current favorite, even though I do think it's beginning to drag, you know, but I I love the Who Killed Diane storyline. It's something a little bit different. I mean, we've had who killed the person, and we don't know who it is. But I like the way that they managed to bring in almost everyone in the entire cast in this storyline. And I still say, I still think it's Patty, but I'm waving where it could be Deacon now. But my money is still on Patty just because I can't think of another character who would have the stomach to hit someone in the head. Ten times, unless they're crazy, <laughs> well, you know, for, which Patty is crazy. So. Yeah, for me, I'm with you. At first, I thought it was Patty. Then when there were the little contract issues with Melody Thomas Scott, I thought, oh, okay, well, sure enough, Nikki's going to be the one. Then they put everything together, and, and Melody Thomas Scott came back, and I thought, well, now they can't bring Nikki back just to have her really be the killer, so it's got to be right. Patty again. So I'm not entirely sure that anybody really knows who killed Diane, but... Uh, you're right. One of the things that I really like is when a show can utilize its entire canvas in one story where everybody gets to interact and everybody has a little bit of a part. And that, to me, is worth watching because then no matter who your favorite character is, if they're involved in that story, you have a reason to watch every single right. day. Right. And I think with, with, with that one – now, I won't put it past our scribes to – even if it was Patty – to change their mind and make it be someone <laughs> else at the end, you know. So unless they do that, my money's still on Patty. <laughs> well, Nita, I'm sure that there are some things that didn't work over the past year that you'd like to talk about. So I look forward for you to come back on the show next week for our big bash of ridding out all of the evil energy that we might have and trying to start over 2012 fresh and new. So if you're game for talking about the worst next week, I'd love to have you. I can't wait. You know, in doing this best of year in review, you kind of get hungry about halfway through. So I guess it's time to make the donuts, the golden donuts. And, of course, that means we're going to be talking about Days of Our Lives with our wonderful Days of Our Lives Two Scoops columnists, Tony and Larissa. Tony, Larissa, welcome to Soap Central Live and our big year in review 2011 edition. Hi, Dan. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Happy holidays. Well, absolutely. So one of the things that I think everybody thinks about when they think about the year gone by for Days of Our Lives was the show's reboot, which was an attempt to sort of take the show back to where it was and when people were really excited about it with characters that people loved. So let's start off with, uh, for Tony, what do you think is the best thing to come out of the Days of Our Lives reboot? Hmm. You, you know, I just like the initial festivities because it was like, well, anybody that watches days on a daily basis or even a weekly basis knows that 2011 in the beginning was a little, let's say, rough around the edges at some point. And so, like, the whole celebration itself when everything kicked off and, you know, 
fan favorites exited and then fan favorites came back. It was just fun. It was like the wrap-up party to like a very long year. You know, everybody got to get drunk and make out with coworkers. It was just, it was fun. It was like the characters got dressed up and just the actors, you could tell they just, you know, they were just beaming, like the new sets and it was just fun. It was a very festive time and that was kind of like the pinnacle for it and that kind of just set the tone of we have these new fancy sets and get back to more industry storylines and it was it was a good time all around for that. Well, more importantly, Larissa, who were you getting drunk and making out with during this party? I must have missed this invitation. I can neither confirm nor deny that I was ever drunk and or ever making out with anyone. Okay, well, I maybe... have one of those Seth No Demarin get out of jail free cards, so I'm good. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, maybe you can confirm at least that there was something that you really liked about the reboot. What was your your absolute best of the reboot 2011? My favorite thing about the reboot happened just a few weeks ago, and that was when they took one of my favorite things about Days, which is the Horton Christmas tree, and they put it up early. I love that because, I'm not kidding you, I have ten Christmas trees in my house, (laughs) and I put them up. When you have that many, you start early. So I am totally in favor of putting the trees up early, having them up lit for the holiday season, so I'm glad they did that. And I really, really, really liked that they branched out and gave some... um, Gave some of Maggie's new family ornaments. I thought that was a very Alice thing to do. The Horton family is so good about, you know, ex- extending their arms and embracing people, and I thought that was such a very common Alice thing to do. And then piggybacking off that, I like that they put a um, tree in the Horton Square that kind of played off the same theme of, you know, while people may be away, we always remember them. So I thought they did a brilliant job with taking the Horton tree and amplifying it and kind of kind of really doing doing right by the spirit of what that tree was about. Okay, so we have to, of course, say Golden Donuts as many times as possible, just for folks who maybe are just tuning in. Uh, Tony got to do it last year, so Larissa, let me let you explain. What are the Golden Donuts? What does it mean? And then uh, just jump right into uh, handing out your first dozen. Well, the Golden Donuts are only the most coveted award outside of the Dankies in all of soap opera history. Um, and what happens is Tony and I throw a little party over on our corner of the Internet, and we hand out awards, and we name them the Golden Donuts Awards as a homage to the Lady Horton. That would be Alice and her famous famous pastry baked good, and so we call them the Golden Donuts because we like to give a nod to Alice, and anybody who's watched Dave for any extended period of time knows that said donuts have magical powers, and we're hoping that some magic rubs up on us. Okay, so what is our featured flavor for today's show? Well, you well, don't just pick one. They're magic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm thinking of a flavor, and Larissa, <laughs> what is your first award what is my first award? Well, we pick kind of fun awards over um, in in Dave Land, and I think that um, you know we do we do best actor and best actress and all all that kind of stuff. But I think that one of the most fun ones that we give out is best villain because that's one of the great ones that that makes soap great. And this year, um, just to give people a little preview, my best villain went to Stefano. And I kind of feel like at the very beginning of the year, he hatched this fake race scheme where he gave um, a, a, a lowly Demaragoon um, 
plastic surgery and made him taught everything about the Brady's and it, it was something very very old school stuff no to do over the top just terrible horrible no good very bad and I loved every minute of it and it was the best part of Stefano kind of coming back to his Stefano-ness well if there's a best villain Tony do you by chance have a best hero or heroine on your side of the uh, donut store you know yeah, I do but that's kind of classified yet Oh, we're still working out some. It is, yeah. We're still working out some tweaks with that one because we're trying to get this just right. Because you know, like any good recipe, if the flavors aren't all there, it just becomes really bad. Nobody wants to buy. Who, it, so. who knew that the two scoops was more secretive than the Coca-Cola formula? So, we so. All, I have an aunt I don't talk to anymore because she tried to hack into my computer and find <laughs> out the secret. So I <laughs> did. Uh, and next time, maybe you know, Dan is cool isn't such a great password. Oh, well, trust us, that's not, no, that's not going to be the <laughs> No, actually, I will talk about one of my favorite awards, though, um, that we give out, because um, we basically, we nailed it last year. We had 20 golden donuts and then 20 of our worst of, so we kind of hit the number, and that's what we were aiming for, but one of my favorites is most likely to return, because oh. it's kind of like... Larissa and I get to make a wish list for Santa and, you know, submit it to Dave and see who's, you know, throw it against the wall and see who sticks. And last year we actually got one. So that was, that was like a, a celebratory time for us. <laughs> okay. Who, but just quickly, who was it that, uh, that you got? Um, last year I picked Jack Devereaux to return. Very nice. And he actually returned. <laughs> yeah. And I think Larissa picked John Black back in, I think it was 2008. And then he returned, I think it was a year later. So we missed out the next year off. So this is our first, like, the next year they return, so okay. we're pretty proud of that. So who are we? Who are we throwing up against the wall this year? Well, there's a couple contenders, and a lot of them have the last name Horton, which, you know, with the whole revamp of the Horton Town Square and talk about a lot of older Hortons coming back, you know. And actually, one of the ones that was on the short list is now returning, and I, you know, don't want to be too spoilerish, but you know, aka Brian Patillo. So, you know, that was <laughs> he was on the short list of characters I was going to pick. So I'm kind of going with. Um, Maybe Nathan, but I'm also kind of crossing fingers now that another, well, not Horton, but another uh, Robert sibling, Lisa Renna, is coming back as Billy. I'm kind of hoping that maybe Chelsea will be back, too. So oh. That's a good one. That's a good one for the list. Yeah, we, we kind of, like, have a special place in our queue, scoop some happy hours for Rachel Melvin as Chelsea. So we're kind of hoping to see her back on the screen next year. Now, just because, you know, I, I have to ask the hard questions. If they brought the character back but with a different actress... Larissa, would that be as meaningful for you, or would you be grumpy? I would be grumpy, because um, I'm selfish like that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that um, it depends on who the actress was. You know, we really, I, I personally really enjoyed Rachel, but, you know, another, another donut that we give out is for uh, Best Recast. So who knows if, if they recast Chelsea and she comes back and she's fabulous as as, as a new as a new character, you know, she would then be eligible for the aforementioned coveted golden donuts. Okay, we are so surprisingly almost out of time for this segment, but um, let me start with you, Larissa. Is there anything on your as the studio falls apart here and things are falling down? Uh, if is there any sort of surprise on your list of best moments that you think uh, people may really want to check out in the Two Scoops column? I think that I have a really good um, surprise pick for best actor. Um, usually, that that tends to go to to in the past. It's gone to 
um, you know, John Aniston, which I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's he's really good. I think he's really going to be something in the soap <laughs> world. Um, and, you know, the likes of Peter Reckle, who, again, is a great up-and-comer. I think everyone should really check him out. Um, but this year I actually picked somebody who is, is kind of a kind of a spring chicken, if you will. And so oh. I think it would be a surprise. I, I'm very interested to see what readers, um, what their feedback is, because, you know, it's not always uh, – you know, we don't always agree, but I think it's it's interesting that this year the writers are kind of giving up the workload a little bit, and I'm happy with, with where a chunk of it landed. And, Tony, any surprises on your side of the list? You know, I'm kind of looking forward to sharing the best couple, hmm. because it's, yeah, I'm kind of, it's, it's kind of breaking from tradition, so to speak, because, like, a lot of times in the past it's gone to, like, you know, Bo and Hope, mm-hmm. or even Lexi, and couples that have really, like... and Larissa. Exactly. <laughs> You know, couples that, you know, are, are what, soap legends or super couples, again, like us, the scoopers. But, yeah, it's kind of a couple that, you know, it's kind of controversial couple. So I'm kind of excited to share that and see what people think. Will you guys come back next week to share your more dubious worst of 2011 picks? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that it's kind of unanimous that we're kind of... Uh, Listen in for snarky. So, yeah, we'll be definitely in for that. Well, great. I want to thank both of you for being here. Of course, your big two scoops column for the best of is going to air uh, or be posted, air, eh, whatever, same thing, for the Christmas week, which is always going to be fun. So, uh, I look forward to talking to you guys next week with your Alex North Memorial Awards. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Last year when Jennifer Biller was here, we talked about As the World Turns. Unfortunately, As the World Turns is no longer with us, but we've shuffled things around to sort of keep her on board. And this year she's going to be talking about General Hospital. So let's look back at 2011, Jennifer, and what were some of the highlights for you in terms of maybe storylines that you really enjoyed? Okay, I think probably for me the best storyline of the whole year, and it. I didn't choose it because it was a feel-good, you know, makes me happy and joyful to watch that episode. I would think it would be Luke's intervention. Um, it was a, it was not fun to watch, but it was powerful. It was one of the best hours of television I think I've watched in a long time. And they didn't cut away to other characters because I think the um, emotions in that scene were just so heavy. I think it really would have ruined it had they cut away to someone else. The best part, I, I think, his family all took turns reading letters to him. Tracy's was really sobering. It became clear the reason she insisted that he stayed sober on their wedding day was that she thinks he can't love her unless he's drunk. Everybody took their turn explaining you know, how they felt about him and how their drinking had affected them. It was just a really emotional hour, and I loved the fact that at the end of it, Luke, with all of his years of history of drinking, sort of stayed true to the Luke character and did not, you know, say, yes, I'm going to rehab. He went out looking for a bottle. So it was a great hour. As you said, it's not exactly a feel-good storyline, so let's give you a chance to up the ante. Were there any feel-good storylines of any kind in 2011, (laughs) let alone any that you maybe liked? Well, it was a tough year for GH. It was a pretty depressing year uh, for General Hospital, but there were some moments of levity. I think uh, anything that involved Diane and Alexis and that friendship and those ladies going out, that was a fun um, duo to watch. I also love, and it's strange to me that 
some of the humor is come the best humor on General Hospital right now is coming from a mobster. But there it is. Uh, Anthony Zakara delivers some great one-liners. I love all the scenes he's in. He's such a great character to watch. He's a, a wonderful villain. You know, you, you almost picture him, you know, twiddling with his mustache, even though he doesn't <laughs> have one. But he delivers some really great jokes. And uh, so there are, there are some fun moments. Um, and I think e- even though they've been through a lot, the Patrick and Robin romance has been very strong this year. They've been through a lot with all of the... Uh, crazy stalker storyline with Lisa and the murder attempts, and uh, they really have held it together. So I, I enjoy at least watching a couple who doesn't so quickly throw in the towel because it seems like we see that a lot in soaps. One of the questions that has been entertaining, at least to me and hopefully to the listeners out there as well, is asking columnists if there were stories that they were just determined that they were not going to like, but then surprise. Maybe as the storyline rolled on, they actually liked. So, it's your turn. Is there a storyline that you absolutely thought that you were going to hate, only to be surprised and find yourself rather enjoying? Well, I think, in, yes, I will answer that. I think it was Spinelli when he, I've never been a big, big fan of Spinelli, but this year when he uh, lost his memory and woke up and he suddenly was thought he was, Damien Spinelli, you know, back in the 40s with his detective uh, dialogue continuously running, and that was that was quite enjoyable. There was a lot of humor there. He he was hitting on Maxie and pretty much just not caring what he said to whom. He was giving Sonny some attitude, and and that was fun for fans. So yeah, I really didn't think I would enjoy that storyline. I just you know I thought, oh, this is going to be silly, but yeah, I found myself smiling quite a few times during that. Who would you say was your favorite character over the past 12 months? Favorite character? Wow. I think without a doubt, my favorite character is usually Luke. Uh, Despite how hard it is to love Luke, you just cannot look away when he's on screen. And there are many times when I want to smash him over the the head with his bottle that he's drinking out of, but... You just can't not love Luke. He just wears all of his emotions right on his sleeve, and he's hard to like, but I can't stop liking him. But a close second for me would be Alexis, because she's humorous, a bit neurotic like myself. Uh, I identify a lot with her, except she makes really, really bad choices. Uh, (laughs) But those are my two favorites. It's interesting that some of the characters that you're talking about on General Hospital share names with characters from As the World Turns, so I can't help but wondering if you're trying to impose your As the World Turns love on all the folks of General Hospital. <laughs> Perhaps it could be subconscious, Dan, but thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, you know, but uh, <laughs> once I, I, I give people a hard time here, it sounds, though, like there are maybe more things that you had some issues with in 2011 than were necessarily things that deserved applause. So, If you're willing, we'd love to have you back next week for our Worst of Show, where you can purge all of that anger and get out all the negative thoughts and and try to kick off the new year with a positive vibe. That sounds great, and it will save me a therapy bill, so I'm in. All right, Jennifer, well, we'll see you next week. Okay. It may be difficult to come up with ideas for the best of 2011 when the soap that you're talking about has been unceremoniously canceled. 
It's going to be a very interesting segment as we talk to our one of our One Life to Live Two Scoops columnists, Michael, who is going to share his picks for the best of the year gone by. Michael, welcome back to Soap Central Live. Hi. Good year. Yeah, you know, it's it's that time of year again where we get everybody together, our little Two Scoops family. So let's first address the elephant that's in the room. Uh, normally when people are talking about soaps or, or just television programs in general that are being taken off the air, it's because, well, let's be honest, they suck. But <laughs> that wasn't the case with One Life to Live. The show is uh, not to overstep and, and go into your domain, but, I mean, it's been at a creative high, and yet still it's being taken away. So, Well, uh, I mean, it's, 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 been, it's, it's been a mixed bag, which has been the case with the show for a while, but, yes, it's been... It hasn't been a show that has come off like it's been dead for a long time, which is how a lot of these these shows are. Uh, even with all my children, uh, there was it was a different situation. I didn't think that show was dead, but it was certainly in different shape. Uh, it's it's something where ABC had a very particular mindset about what they wanted to do with the network and with their programming block, and uh, the soap opera simply doesn't have. It's not what they want, and it's too expensive for them now. And the, the budget, I think, is the budget. I think was their bottom line. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's that's where they've gone. And it is, you're right. It is, it is very peculiar to watch uh, something that is, it is vital, and it's num- their numbers are, I guess, maintaining. Uh, it, it's it's surreal to watch. Okay, so let's sort of break it down. Let's um, let's start with maybe one of your favorite storylines from the year gone by. Oh, that's very easy. The the, the favorite by default would have to be the two Todd thing. That's been a lot of fun. You couldn't have you couldn't have made that up. I mean nobody I people have been talking about but potentially doing some sort of story with Roger Howard for years where he shows up and there's two of them and who is who's the real one and so on and I never believed it. I never thought they were gonna do it. <laughs> and how how would they do it? He's he's got plastic theory. Everybody knows he he's remembered things that they, they, the, the second Todd, Trevor St. John, is remembering things that, that the first one did. Like, there were literally flashbacks at some point. Uh, how could they possibly do it? And they did it, and they did it with most, one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my life, where they're both sitting in chairs, and I guess some sort of talk therapy was involved, and the, the twins, it's, it was ridiculous. But I don't care. I don't care. It was great. It was great, because there's a certain point in that storyline where you're like, what the hell is going on? And you don't even care, because the performers made that work. Uh, everybody involved in that storyline did a great job with, with just acting it out, and there was so much history tied into it. And for me, personally, it was very satisfying because of how I felt about the character over the last couple of years. I mean, I, I've written Todd off. Anybody who reads anything I've written knows that. Uh, I've pretty much written him off since the whole Marty thing. And this was incredibly satisfying when Roger Howard shows up and says, how could any of you have thought I did that? Well, one of the things that I found particularly, oh, gratifying was one of your Two Scoops columns where before we realized that maybe it wasn't the animal that we thought, uh, we had a lot of fun with <laughs> the beaver that turned out to be a porcupine. For me, that oh, yeah. was one of my highlights yeah. of your uh, of your Two Scoops yeah. column. <laughs> So many roads not taken with that joke. I could, I could still be doing that now. I guess uh, for me, Crouching Echo, Hidden Beaver was, uh, I think, Thanks. by and far my favorite Two Scoops title from any of the soaps, including mine, in the past year. 
that animal was that animal was a beer, by the way. They can pretend it's not. They can they can pretend it's a porcupine to try and save face. You and I both know what that is. I've looked at that animal enough times. That's a beaver. When that thing was on the when that thing was on the show a couple of years ago, it was a beaver. Now they're like, oh, we can't keep saying beaver. Oh, it's a porcupine. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say that uh, folks will hear coming up in a couple of weeks when we do the One Life to Live tribute episode on January 13th that apparently this creature, such as it was, was the um, inside joke among some of the co-stars. Uh, you'll hear Josh Kelly talking about, he said that that co-star was a prick. Um <laughs> You know, there there's lots of interesting things that's coming up. So that that's uh that's a little preview for folks who uh can't wait awesome. to uh, to check out that. There's some some great interviews coming. So let's go to some of the other best of moments. Uh do you have a a best of character for the year gone by? One is Vicky cuz I love Vicky from the, from the bottom of my heart and she's <laughs> had a hell of a time and now they're sort of rushing things Clint, but that's okay cuz both her and Jerry Verdorn are doing great work. And mm-hmm. I think both of them have a huge, they've played out a lot in a very short period of time, so they're both very important to me. I also think that uh, Austin Williams has done a very, very good job as Shane Marasco. He's been really impressive this year. Next to Eddie Arlison, he's probably the best young performer on the show. And unfortunately, he doesn't have very much, well, you I mean, you've got the story going on where his mom's sort of not his dead mom, his twin, or not her twin, her, her, her sister, who's, you know, I don't even... I don't want to talk about it. I don't talk about it. But, you know, he's doing a very good job. He's doing a really good job. I felt for him this whole year with that whole storyline. He's very good. Well, I like talking about the things that I love from our favorite soaps, but I have a feeling that this year I'm going to definitely enjoy discussing the worst because, let's face it, there's probably one thing more than anything else that was the worst of 2011. So... Michael, I hope that you will come back next week and help me dish the worst of 2011 as we continue our big year-end special. Oh, sure. And for everybody out there, if you'd like to read from Michael and find out what he is picking for his best and worst, his column will be posted the week of January 2nd on SoapCentral.com. Be sure to go over and check it out. And the week of December 26th, his cohort, Dawn, will be posting her best and worst. She's not able to join us on the show this year, but that doesn't mean that she won't be uh, sharing her opinion. We are not done talking about soaps that may have had a good year, but also were hit with bad news. Of course, I'm talking about All My Children, and when it comes to talking All My Children on SoapCentral.com, I'm the go-to guy. I am the Two Scoops columnist, and since I'm the only person, I figured rather than bore you guys with six or seven minutes of me just chattering on in a soliloquy, I'm going to bring in one of our favorite guests from the past year who's not a Two Scoops columnist, but he's about as close as you can get without being part of the team. I'm talking about the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, Richard Sims. Richard, welcome back for our year-end celebration, I guess, here on Soap Central Live. Well, thanks for having me. Um, um, Happy holidays to everybody and happy new year and all that stuff. Um, Glad to be here. So this week, since I figured it's it's Christmas week, we're going to talk about only things that are good. It's kind of hard to do with all my children and, of course, in the last segment with One Life to Live because the show's were canceled, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there weren't some really good things that happened on both soaps. So let's focus on All My Children for this segment. And for me, acting-wise, storyline-wise, one of the highlights for me was watching Debbie Morgan and Darnell Williams with the death of their baby storyline. It wasn't necessarily my favorite storyline, 
But this is proof that you can have amazing performances from amazing actors. I mean, there's a reason they have Emmys. And just, you know, certainly be entertained, even if the storyline itself wasn't that great. I actually think it's a great case of taking lemonades and making, or taking lemons and making lemonade. I mean, you know, the the writers walked in on a story that had already been put in place with the baby switch, and it was a god awful story. It was just terrible. And so, but they took that and they really made something great out of it. Um, I think, you know, one of the most powerful themes over the last year was Angie going to the, the place where Jesse had buried the, the, their child and, and her digging at the ground. And, I mean, if you weren't crying during those scenes, you clearly need to go see that scary, scary doctor on the Restasis commercials because your tears are functioning. Wow, there went that sponsorship. Oh, she scares me. She's a robot. I don't understand why they picked her. And um, she but, is you know, an actual doctor. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. That's... <laughs> That's kind of what I thought of a lot of All My Children this year was, for the most part, lemonade was made out of lemons. You know, I think my favorite story, which turned out to be kind of bad in the end, but my favorite story really was sort of the Orpheus stuff because Orpheus was designed to bring back fan favorites before the end. And, of course, when they came up with you know, the Orpheus story, there was no talk of Prospect Park. So this was going to be a really nice way to bring back fan favorites and, you know, sort of wrap everything up and let Kendall and Zach be happy and all these other couples. And then, of course, it got messed up toward, at the end because Prospect Park came in and Prospect Park... And, 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 you know, if you thought about it too much at that point, you lost it because we all knew that, that Torsten K, for example, had only come back for the short term, knowing the show was ending. He wasn't going to come back for Prospect Park's version. So it kind of was all getting screwy toward the end. But what it started out being was a great story, a great end of story. And so I gave them a lot of props for that. I also think one of the things they did a really great job of was getting back to some of the friendships on the show. For example, Erica and Opal. We really got a lot of good Erica-Opal stuff. That meant a lot to me. I think they did a great job with, you know, sort of, sort of bringing us toward an end without giving us an actual end. Um, I think they did the best they could under the circumstances. And I think the last six months of All My Children, we got some of the best stuff that we'd gotten in a long, long time from that show. Oh, I have to agree. And I think two of the things that you touched on in that are also on my best of list. If there was anyone to bring back for All My Children's Finale. It had to be Lorraine Broderick as head writer, someone who appreciates the show, someone who understood the show, and you know really could give fans what they needed and what they deserved for an ending, aside from the fact that uh, they had to sort of alter things for the Prospect Park deal that was and wasn't. And then the other aspect of that was the returns. There were so many people who were basically fighting tooth and nail to be able to be a part of All My Children's finale. I mean, you don't get that for a lot of programs. So the fact that fans were able to see Josh Dumel and Carol Burnett and Eva LaRue and Sarah Michelle Gellar, folks That who... amazing cameo with Sarah Michelle Gellar. That was so funny and so well done. And when they, because when they announced that Sarah Michelle Gellar was coming on, I could not figure out how they were going to do it. You know, how do you bring Sarah Michelle Gellar on 
to a show when, you know, everybody's going to see her and think Kendall, and Kendall's on the canvas. And the way they did it was so creative. And I think that's the other thing that all my children really did this last year that they didn't get as much credit for, and that is they really brought back the sort of warm humor of the show. Um, one Life to Live gets a lot of credit for its humor, but for me, One Life to Live's humor can sometimes be a little over the top. All My Children does such a great job, did, excuse me, did such a great job with humor and just laugh-out-loud lines and great dialogue that sounded real. You know, they, they, the, the family ties, All My Children was always sort of a show about family and family connections. And, you know, another scene that really stood out for me uh, during the final week or two was when Tad and Dixie went to the park and he proposed and he's down and, and, and you know, she decides she's going to do it. And everybody, the Martins are all listening because he accidentally butt dialed them with his phone. I mean, or well, me dialed, I guess it was. But, but that's just funny and relatable because who hasn't done that? And it may not be the attention kind of getting humor that One Life to Live and some other shows are a little bit better at. But it's real humor, and I really love that they that they brought that back. Now I have another best of that is also a worst of. It's something that I thought was brilliant, and something that turned out to be not so brilliant in the end. I'm sure that folks listening are pretty much able to figure out what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the actual finale for All My Children. The last five minutes of All My Children had me wandering from my desk, standing inches away from the television screen, from the toasting to Jack and his infamous line, you know, frankly, Erica, I don't give a damn what you want, to the ultimate shot in the dark, which would have been a great setup for an online version of All My Children. I'm not really as heartbroken and upset about the ending as I know you're going to share, probably for next week's show in the worst of, but... I like to the ability now to sit here and imagine in my own mind what all my favorite, all my children, uh, my Pine Valley friends, what they're all doing now. And rather than having it spelled out for me, it allows me to sort of keep that memory alive just in my thoughts and just in my own personal creative opinions. And I think that other fans are probably able to do the same thing. And the great thing about it is nobody's endings, nobody's continuations are going to be exactly the same. Oh my God, you're so Pollyanna. Oh, no, whatever. That's what I do. No, I I agree with you to a point. Um, I said at the time that that if they went to Prospect Park or somewhere else, that it was the the, the best cliffhanger in you know recent memory. If they didn't, it was the worst finale ever. Well, before we go too far down the road of things that were the worst of the past year, we do have a show next week called The Worst of 2011. Can I twist your arm and? Convince you to come on and dish some of the things that you didn't like from the past year? I would be, you know I like to talk about things that didn't work, so yeah, that won't be hard. Oh great, Richard, thanks so much for dropping by this week, and I look forward to dishing the, uh, the dirty dozen or so with you next week. Thanks for having me. And that is going to bring us to the end of this week's show and our look back at the Best of the Soaps 2011. If you're looking for more of the Best of the Soaps in 2011, be sure to check out the Two Scoops columns on SoapCentral.com, being posted the week of December 26th and the week of January 2nd. It's another opportunity for you to look at some of the highlights and also some of the lowlights of the year gone by. 
To access the columns, visit the SoapCentral.com site and click on Two Scoops in the blue navigation menu at the top of any page on the site. And don't forget, we will be here again next week as we get ready to ring in a new year, talking about the worst of 2011. I hope that you'll be able to join us then for more of Soap Central Live. Have a great week and have a great holiday, everybody.